Spinnerdalogs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hey everyone, as usual, my name is Eric Arno, and as usual, you're listening to the Nerdalog Present Your Stories Podcast. This episode is the second of three, yes three, we're going extra this month, uh, three installments centered on the theme of crime and punishment. And this time, you can hear tales on the topic from accountant John Lester, comic artist Yusuf Abunama, director Julie Pearson, writer Jeremy Connie, and producer Eric Parsons, plus the usual tunage from myself and Dwight Hassler. So the Nerdalogs, you might have noticed, have been super busy lately, and we hope you've been keeping up. We just put on a, a super fun, great show in conjunction with the Chicago Loot Drop charity, and we're looking to do it again this weekend as part of the Dweebutante Ball, an all-day gaming and nerd festival at the Public House Theater, 3914 North Clark Street in Chicago. $25 buys you into a full day of tabletop gaming, costume contests, and shows to split your sides, including the return of the ever-popular Nerds Against Humanity show, in which members of the Nerdalogs team up with the creators of Cards Against Humanity for a hilariously twisted improv show. Uh, this is going to be a crazy fun time, you guys, and the proceeds go to Comer Children's Hospital, so we hope that you can make it. Uh, the Sunday after that, so May 19th, is our next Your Stories recording, which is when we record what you're hearing right now. Uh, to tie in with the sketch show we just did, the theme of next month's show is Journey. So write whatever that makes you think of and come share it. You could get on this very podcast and more importantly, you can have a ton of fun sharing your experiences in one of the best rooms in Chicago. As always, Your Stories is free to attend and starts at 7pm sharp at the Public House Theater. Alright guys, thanks again for your continued support of both the Nerdalogs and of Your Stories. Uh, you are all the best and we'll see you soon!
Next, my friend back in the USA, John Lester. Yeah. John, where, where did you just come from? Where is your uh, I was just in Singapore. It was warm there. I hate Chicago now. Um, so, uh, I am from a very small town. Uh, it's 450 people. Uh, there is no stoplight. There is no gas station. There is no McDonald's or Starbucks. Um, so crime and punishment in my town is generally uh, pretty minor. Uh, generally, it's some kid broke into the school to do a prank, or um, somebody was siphoning off ammonia to make meth, you know, normal stuff. Uh, but, but this story is about uh, one of the more unusual uh, happenings in my town, and it actually happened in my side yard. Um, so. I was about nine. Uh, I was playing catch in my side yard with one of my friends, and a uh, big school bus pulled up. And it was it was the middle of summer, um, but this wasn't too unusual because there were a lot of uh, detasseling crews around us. Uh, for those that don't know, detasseling is something you torture 13 to 18 year olds with in central <laughs> Illinois or and all over the Midwest, where you basically castrate corn for eight hours a day. <laughs> it's pretty much what you do. Uh, it's it's miserable, but. This, so this school bus, though, it pulls up in my yard, which is very unusual, and the driver jumps off and comes barreling at me and grabs me and yells, where's your phone, and, like, takes me with him. And, you know, at the time, you know, it, it was a more innocent time, but I was pretty convinced I wasn't being kidnapped. I was too ugly of a child for that. <laughs> and, it, you know, it was the mid-90s, so it was trusting, and so I just went with it. Um, and so we, we run up to my, to my house where my, my mom is, and uh, this, this bus driver is dragging my friend and I along, and she looks at him, and he goes, he goes, where is your phone? And I turn around to look why we're running away from this bus, as I see a whole bunch of teenagers spill out, and they're beating each other over the head with coolers. Uh, so what I come to find out... Uh, Many years later, when I finally decided to ask, you know, why were a bunch of prepubescent and pubescent kids beating the crap out of each other in my yard, um, there were two detasseling crews there that had become apparently like gangs. Uh, yes. So this was technically gang warfare in my side yard of my town of 450 people. See, shit happens outside the city, people. Uh, but apparently they'd had this big rivalry going on, and this day one of their crew's buses had broken down, and so they all had to be on the same bus, oh, and shit had just boiled over, like. Uh, it was, you know, like, some sharks and jet shit went down, there was, there was some snapping, you know, and the coolers went flying. Um, and so I got thrown into the house uh, while my mom calls 911, and I, of course, scramble up to the window, and, like, I'm watching this as I'm watching all these kids just just wailing on each other. They're running all through the house, or the, the side yard, and they're running up towards the house. And so one of them tries to climb over the, the fence to my backyard where my mom is standing. And my mom is a first grade teacher. Uh, so she's used to yelling about kids about eating paste or, you know, coloring on the walls. She's not really used to ki kids yelling at kids about, you know, assaulting each other. So uh, as this kid is trying to climb over the fence, uh, my mom is holding a giant rock in one hand. And she is holding back our giant Labrador, which was the laziest dog in the world. But this time, <laughs> I actually decided that it wanted to be protective of us, which was it's good timing, you know. Um, so, and my mom is just screaming at this this guy, like, just get back! I'll let this dog go. I will do it. And I look out the window. I'm going. I'm not gonna mess with her. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna keep that one in mind. Um, so eventually, 
a cop from every town around us shows up because my town has one cop, and that is not enough to handle this situation. Uh, ambulances arrive, all this kind of stuff, and so uh, it takes like you know 15, 20 minutes, and all these kids are in handcuffs, sitting in my yard, and all these cops just like walking back and forth, just you know, yelling at them and like trying to get all their IDs and things like that. And my dad, who's the town mailman, uh, actually comes home for his lunch break, and he pulls up and he goes, "What the hell?" <laughs> and so, uh, while well, my mom tried to explain it to him, my dad was also so my dad was a cop and the mailman. So again, this is a small town, uh, and so so he goes off and talks to all the the other cops and you know starts yelling. Then he starts yelling at the kids about you know being in my yard and all that kind of stuff. So it was like crotchety old man style, except you know he was you know yelling about kids getting off his lawn, except he had a point. Uh, so I, I guess to, to wrap up so I have this you know this really funny story and you know there, one of the big points to me has always been how my mom protected our house and uh, just how quickly uh, things can kind of go crazy in your life that you would never expect um, but just kind of how people do rise to the occasion when that happens and you know it's something we've, we've kind of seen this week and you know obviously my mom's actions are not the same as what we saw in Boston this week but it's always been something I thought about when um, things can possibly go kind of weird in my life that I know that I have it in me to kind of step up um, just like she did. So, thank you. Thank you, John. I, I feel like detasseling gangs is just a funny concept. <laughs> I could do a lot of that. Uh, yeah. We have uh, uh, Yusuf uh, Abunama, Chicago comics artist. Woo! Hello. Um, so this is kind of a sequel to last month's story. So I lived in Dubai um, when I was in high school. And um, so I played sports because I'm kind of athletic a little bit, not really. But um, I, did, I played volleyball. And so I got to go to Egypt for volleyball. And that wasn't very exciting, but the crime and punishment part of this isn't very exciting either. I had a fever and I always tried to fake sick because I never got sick. And so my parents never believed me if I was actually sick. So I went to Egypt with a fever for that. But the sports aren't interesting. What's interesting is, so when you're there, you get housed by somebody. And when I got there, you're supposed to like have your own room and a bed and stuff. That's kind of one of the stipulations. But I go there, and they have like six kids, and they all just have one giant bed. <laughs> so, so I just sat, like, it was awkward. But it was a giant bed. And then anyways, like, and then like after that, before we were going to go do stuff, like you're eating cereal for breakfast, and on the milk it says, remember the martyrs of Egypt. <laughs> and I was like, man, that's heavy for Fruit Loops. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the sports part wasn't interesting. So anyways, after that, we, uh, you know, we played volleyball and stuff. And also, um, in Egypt, this, this story has no continuity whatsoever. It's just random things that happen. <laughs> but they don't use, they have traffic lights, but they don't use them. So it's very dangerous, like when you're walking around, you get hit by a car. I didn't get hit by a car, but you could. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, after we, play, after we played sports, we went to the pyramids and stuff like that. So that was kind of cool. And so I decided it would be awesome. Everyone, you could choose to ride a horse or a camel. But I was like, I'm in Egypt, I'm going to ride a camel, you know, because that's cool. Um, so I rode, the, I rode the camel, but the problem is the guy who sold the camels, he was there with his children. If you've seen Star Wars Episode One, he was exactly like Guado, I think his name is. He was like, hey, you want the camel? <laughs> <laughs> well, seriously, he was like a little guy, and he had like gross stubbly beard and everything. And the camels, the poor, like, 
they would they would they didn't they weren't like whips per se, but they were kind of like whips, and they would smack the camels. <laughs> and the camels, like you know, you ever see them? They have these big doe eyes, and they're kind of funny looking. Um, so you know, you're riding the camel, and the, I was riding a male camel because male camels have like this gland inside their throat to attract the women, and it looks like their heart's coming out of their mouth. Oh god! <laughs> and they make like a weird gurgling noise, and it was doing that the whole time I was on it. It was kind of awkward. And then like a little boy, the son was like guiding the camel, and but the saddle on my camel was broken. So I was going up a dune, and it was like a terrible action movie where I had to like dodge roll off the camel into the sand, and that wasn't very exciting at all. But yeah, that happened. And then, to, to like the last thing that happened, um, so like you get to the pyramids, right? And if you've ever been to them, it's cool to see, and you can go inside, but they're all looted, and there's nothing in them, so it's just like a room. Um, and it's a room, and it's a small room, you think it would be big, but like, and the stairs are just, they put like stairs in them, like little like wooden things that I don't think were there before, but it's really steep, you know, it's interesting. Um, anyways, but before I got in there, there was another guy, and he was like, hey, you want a Pepsi? And I'm like, okay. And he, I, I just hold it, and then he's like, uh, $5? And I'm like, uh, no, no Pepsi. And he's like, you had it, and I, you know, that happened. That's fine. <laughs> And anyways, that's my adventures in Egypt. It's not that good, but you know. That, that martyr thing is interesting. I don't like my milk to lecture me. I am the boss of my milk. Oh, uh, let's get... I don't drink milk, guys. I'm kidding. Let's get Julie Pearson up here. Chicago. Yeah, Julie. Uh, I'm going to reinstate this thing where people sit down and tell their stories. Yeah. <laughs> Feel safer. All right. Um, cool. So I'm glad this is coming after the corn gang story. Um, <laughs> because on the flip side of that, uh, I am just terrified of rural areas. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like vaguely uncomfortable not being able to watch and get a sandwich. Um, <laughs> but I'm especially terrified of like, like cornfields for miles kind of like rural areas, and I especially learned this when I went to visit colleges in Grinnell, Iowa. Um, <laughs> I had this one terrifying uh, campus visit where I didn't sleep at all, and I decided instead to go to Madison, um, which is a, a you know reasonable city with people and uh, traffic and, and people that can hear you scream. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so the thing about Madison is that while it is a city, it is surrounded by a lot of not city. Um, and a lot of my friends were from Knott City. Um, and so they were more accustomed to this uh, Knott City than I was, uh, which mostly didn't come up, um, except this one particular uh, night, the summer before my senior year, like four of us had been out to watch theater in the woods um, at Spring Green, and we're driving back uh, down this like, I don't even know what highway it was. I wasn't paying attention, I wasn't driving. Um, but we're driving down this highway and there's like four of us and I'm very courteously sitting in the back because I'm small and that's what you do when you're small as you always volunteer to sit in the back seat. And, um, and we drive past this like road sign that's, that's uh, announcing an exit for Kickaboo Road. And everyone's like, what a great street name, let's steal the sign. <laughs> Um, and so I assumed they were all joking, and I was like, yeah, let's! <laughs> um, <laughs> they weren't joking. <laughs> and uh, the girl that was driving was like, ooh, guys, I have a hacksaw in my trunk, let's use that! <laughs> um, I'm not even 
even sure I knew what a hacksaw was <laughs> at this point. Uh, there was there was never any area of my life where I, I thought that um, that was a thing people would need. <laughs> um, but we pull off the highway and we're like driving down to find another sign that's not right along the, the highway um, that we can steal. And I'm trying to pretend I'm okay with this, um, but I'm totally not. And, um, and so we were driving and there's like, it's like a road, but there's cornfields just on either side and they're so tall. Um, and I'm terrified. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're driving and we come to this like cul-de-sac that kind of looks like a crop circle. I don't know. <laughs> but, but there's, it's like, uh, it's like there's silos and barns and farm words, uh, and stuff, <laughs> just like all around it. <laughs> and I have no idea what's going on. Um, I have never been to a farm at this point in my life. Um, and we realize as this like bright light shines onto the car that we are on someone's property. Um, and I'm completely, uh, completely convinced that they're going to come out with a shotgun. <laughs> and I'm trying not to, trying not to voice all of these uh, insecurities to my um, much more accustomed to this area friends. Um, and so we, we turn around really fast and we um, drive back down through where we came. And I'm thinking like, okay, good. Stealing the road sign didn't work out. We're going to get back on the highway. We're going to go to Madison. We're going to go to Qdoba. This night's going to be over. <laughs> but we don't. Um, <laughs> and we, uh, we cross to the other side of the highway, and we keep uh, driving and looking for, like, an intersection or a break in the corn or something, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, which we do find. Um, so there's an intersection um, where we find another, uh, another road sign that says Kickaboo Road. And I know from, um, from experience with road signs uh, where, the, like, a storm blew one down in high school that they're, like, a lot bigger than they look, and they're reflective, and they're... Um, whatever, and so I keep kind of feebly trying to say this as we're as we're pulling up in the middle of these cornfields. Like, guys, let's not do this. Uh, but I'm totally cool with it. But let's not do this. Uh, this seems like a bad idea. How are we going to get it home? I don't know. Um, so we we pull into this what I think is an intersection, and we like stop. Um, and everybody the, everybody else gets out of the car, and I don't. <laughs> um, I absolutely refuse. And they're like taking this hacksaw and they're sawing away. It's like a street sign and a yield sign and then a metal pole. Um, and so they're sawing away at it for like 15 minutes. Oh. How does it take 15 minutes? It's a hacksaw. Isn't that what those do? <laughs> um, and I'm like keeping watch in the back seat and just refusing to do anything. Um, and I, it, it, it's completely, uh, completely unfathomable to me that um, I didn't grow up in a huge city, but I grew up in a city and it's unfathomable to me that 15 minutes could go by without like, a, a car driving by, or cops, or a serial killer, uh, or something, <laughs> um, coming to find us in this cornfield. And the corn is like, it's like taller than us. And I'm kind of like yelling out the window like, guys, those things are bigger than they look. Don't you know that's reflective? How are we going to get it home? <laughs> uh, and, and like totally freaking out, um, but still pretending it's OK. It's just, I'm just concerned for the safety of everybody. Come on, guys. Um, so eventually they, they managed to saw the sign and the yield sign off, um, but they're not able to separate them, and there's still like more of the pole that they weren't able to detach. Um, so we're like trying to load it into the backseat of the car, and people are having to sit underneath it in order to get it back like 25 minutes. Like this is like a 25 minute drive down the highway with this huge thing. 
um, and making jokes about how, oh, you know, if we crash, the two people sitting in the bag are going to be decapitated by the side. <laughs> oh, no. Um, <laughs> so I sat in the front. Because <laughs> I wanted no part in any of this. Um, but I still didn't want to admit that I was terrified. <laughs> um, but we, but then it's, it is reflective. They, the street signs are reflective, guys. Um, <laughs> they're made to reflect light. Um, so we had to cover it up with blankets. And there were actually people like wedged underneath the sign like this for 25 minutes driving back into Madison. Um, and then we had to smuggle it up uh, through the elevator of, of my friend's apartment building. We were all gonna split the pieces of the sign up, which I was totally gonna take a piece because I was an unwilling accomplice <laughs> in the situation. <laughs> but um, I never knew what happened to the sign because we never heard anything about it again and we never talked about it again. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Thank you, you, you know what terrifies me about the country, and John, I'm sure, I think we've had this conversation, is how fast you fucking people drive. <laughs> like, I was hanging out with a girl from Monticello, Illinois, which is very rural, uh, a couple summers ago, and w she drove up to Chicago, we spent the day together, I'm going like 60 on the 90-94, and she's like, whoa, slow down, you're going way too fast, going fucking 60. Meanwhile, down in her area, she's driving like 65, 70 down fucking like these, you know, one lane each way narrow ass country roads where you can't see like 20 feet in front of you. And she's like, yeah, that's just how we do it down here. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Statistically, I am way more correct than she was. And that mattered to me a lot. A lot. All right. Uh, speaking of people who are associated with the Core Res Theater Company, Jeremy Connie. So, uh, I went to college at U of I, and <laughs> as some people here did, uh, and I lived in a, a dorm called Snyder Hall, uh, this was the, which I stole the sign for. Uh, one of the signs for Snyder Hall I stole, stole at one point and posted on my wall, which it is huge. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's not really wow. part of my story, but... Uh, and it is the uh, non-alcoholic dorm on campus, the only non-alcoholic dorm on Ooh. campus. And so I went there to, like, be studious. And during my freshman and sophomore year, I, you know, like many of us, wanted to rebel a little bit. So when the idea came up that, man, we should take pictures of our ex-girlfriends and go burn them, oh, <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> Do that. I don't really have bad relationships yet, so I'm going to take this thing that represents a kind of okay relationship and we're going to burn it. <laughs> and I, so we like... So it was like the cool thing to do between me, uh, my friends Fred and Will, who is, those are their names. I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna say their names right now. It's not a big deal. Uh, we, we, take, we take our respective objects of our relationships and we take them out to a volleyball uh, field, a sand volleyball court. And for your benefit, not benefit of the podcast, I'm going to demonstrate on this board here, visually, what was going on. Because I think it's gonna benefit you guys, not the podcast. <laughs> so this is, this is a, a, a city block. 
Down here in the southeast, that's volleyball courts. In the middle here, that's a multi-use flat field. And up here is trees. This is going to come and benefit later. <laughs> we go out to the sand volleyball courts in the southeast here. And we dig a hole and we bring out, uh, not lighter fluid, but the stuff that you spray on your shoes uh, during the winter to, like, winterize them. <laughs> stuff uh, with that and light it on fire in a hole in the sand volleyball course in the southeast here. And we have a grand old time, you know, it's a little fire burning in a big sand volleyball court. We're, you know, releasing emotions. <laughs> Some more than others. Not really me, but I'm having a great time because this is stuff that I'm not supposed to do. <laughs> and we're like, oh god, this fire's not really going out. And we're all done releasing our emotions. And we want the fire to go out. So we're like, all right, we'll just piss on it. <laughs> so we all get and piss on it. Uh, you know, as boys, we're all avoiding, you know, the, the downstairs region while we're pissing on the fire. Because that'd be gay. <laughs> to see what's going on. Uh, and as we're not looking at each other, uh, Fred, Fred, as, this is my definition of nonchalant, nonchalantly says, run. <laughs> I don't know what's going on because I'm avoiding everything that has to do with everything. And I'm like, what? It's like, Run, the cops are here. And I go, and we book it from the sand volleyball courts past the hockey rink I didn't tell you about. <laughs> and just to give you some backstory, Fred is the kind of guy that regularly carries around metal sides. <laughs> person. He thought they were cool. And it, I thought it was right. <laughs> and he regularly carries them around and I'm like, okay, he's freaking out because he's carrying metal size. And I go, Fred, what's the big deal? And he goes, I'm carrying pot. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. So we book it. And Fred is way ahead of us. Will's in front of me. And I'm following behind because also, here's the spectrum. Fred, state champion track and field guy <laughs> from Michigan. Will, uh, lost a lot of weight by running. Me, <laughs> skinny guy who's never had to exercise in his life because no one's ever told him he needs to. <laughs> so I'm lagging behind. And Fred's all the way on the, like, this is the stadium. He's all the way across campus. Will goes up across the uh, multi-use field to the trees area, smart, as the cops have, like, converged from the field, the volleyball court, to go around and find us. And I go, I follow Will because I'm an idiot. And I go exactly the same tree that he's hiding behind. And he goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, I needed a place to... And he's already booking it across the street. <laughs> and I'm sitting behind a tree as the cops, like, shine a light to my tree, pass it by. Fred is, you know, across the world. And Will, I feel so bad for because I forced him from his hiding spot and he is on the street, two cops circling around the block to come right to him. And I'm like, I'm fine. And 
and I feel so bad as the cops <laughs> right outside to come and get me. <laughs> the best idea Will could think of being the person that we are, they are trying to find, a person that's just walking down the street, he puts his hoodie up and he just starts dance walking. <laughs> Start breaking out of the bebop. And the cops slow down to pass him, shine a light on him, and look at him. And then drive on by. <laughs> Everybody got home safe, everybody was not arrested, and someone busted out the funk to save their goddamn <laughs> It was a story success. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Jeremy, sweet story. Alright guys, we've got three more stories left tonight. Uh, I'm sure they're all going to be super sweet. Coming up next, uh, Democracy Burlesque producer Eric Parsons. Eric might explain this, but burlesque just means comedy. No, no boobies in this one. Uh, only the politics are naked. Woo! Uh, first off, let me say, Brad Paisley can suck it. <laughs> For those who remember when I was here last time, I told the story about how I was accidentally racist. <laughs> A month ago, motherfuckers. <laughs> well before Mr. Brad Paisley and his little song. <laughs> I want some royalties on that, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, I also uh, have to say I can appreciate some pretty hair. I'm glad that there's some discussion of that this evening. Um, so yeah, tonight, in hopes that maybe it'll spawn another song, I've decided to entitle it Hashtag White People Scare Me More. <laughs> so... Uh, as you may remember, I was accidentally racist because I was completely and utterly uh, uh, stupid when it came to how all that kind of craziness works. And shortly after that, actually, we moved from Gainesville, Florida up to Louisville, Kentucky to literally the projects. The projects. Not like, oh, you know, area, no. They're the biggest crack bust in Louisville's history happened the day we moved in. <laughs> Two buildings over. The projects. Uh, and uh, it was... Uh, the Georgetown Projects was a little interesting. It no longer exists. Apparently they've tore it down. I tried to look it up on Google Earth and I think they put up <laughs> a shopping mall or something. Um, but I really quickly learned that, like, Everything was not what I had been sold by Hollywood about, like, the projects, like, that I wasn't going to be mugged every five feet um, and have my life threatened and all of that. Uh, although, I will say, true to those stories, we did have what I called the ghetto alarm clock. Uh, every morning I would get up at 6.30 so I could be at school at 7.20. Who the fuck does high school at 7.20 in the goddamn morning? Um, so I'd be up at 6 a.m. and this guy at 6.30 every day came out wearing nothing but pair, a pair of uh, basketball shorts, and he'd pull out of his waistband, I assume a nine millimeter, I don't know, I haven't played Call of Duty. Um, and he would just fire it into the air at 6.30, like three or four times, just bang, 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 look around, and then just walk back inside. <laughs> I knew not to fuck 
with him. So I didn't. I never bothered to ask why he did that. Uh, for what I assumed to be obvious reasons. Um, but I did notice, and what was funny is like our neighbors really didn't seem to care that we were there. We were like the only white family in, this, uh, in, this, in the projects there, and basically just because we were poor, and my mom was working on her master's thesis, and yeah, master's thesis and medical bills, not a good combination for uh, the, the you know, standard of living. So uh, anyway, I discovered I got the stink eye actually from the, the sort of next neighbors over the angry white people who are a little concerned about race mixing in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> uh, you know, and as you may remember, prior to this, I was kind of oblivious to the whole race relations reality issues. And uh, I had friends that I, I went to a magnet program school, and I had a friend who had a boyfriend she was dating who lived out in the burbs. And I was one of the few people who was 16 and had a driver's license and a car. Ha-ha! Not really my car, but... It was my car when I had it. Uh, when I was driving it, it was my car. Uh, so a bunch of us pile in after a show one night because we're a bunch of theater nerds uh, in high school at Y-Pass Youth Performing Arts School. Yeah. We were hardcore. And uh, so I'd taken this guy home a couple of times because I was stupid and thought this girl was cute at one point and then didn't realize that I should maybe not do her so many favors after she picked up a boyfriend who she since married, so I'm cool with that. <laughs> um, yeah, and anyway, uh, so I'd taken him out, and he lives in one of those gated communities that's like the North Branch. And then like every road in the place is North Branch Drive, North Branch Street. And all the houses look the fuck same. So it can take, if you don't know exactly which turns to make, you get a little lost. This is a problem. When, my, when we go out one night to drop him off and the car is full of kids, there's like six people in a car that seats five. You know how it works, high school. And I have my friend Erlington with me who's from Jamaica. Very, very dark skin. He eventually learned how to be black from Chris Tucker movies. <laughs> and... Uh, and is now a rapper in New York City. I kid you not, and he's awesome. Um, anyway, he, uh, it, so he's in the car with us one night, and we had never really been harassed all that much, except for we're going to this guy's place, and we, drop, we, we go and drop him off, and American Pie comes on the radio. <laughs> well, we're a bunch of musical theater nerds, and we're 16, so that means everybody gets out of the car and dances around like idiots singing on the top of their lungs, American Pie. And then, sort of halfway out, as we're getting lost in the neighborhood trying to get out, I realize that there is a car following us. Oh. And it is a security car. <laughs> and it follows us every turn. Every, and I actually literally did see at points people like looking out their windows <laughs> through the blinds and just kind of, and clearly like this was an issue. And, I'm kind of having a slight panic and heart attack that I'm going to, like, get pulled over. And sure enough, like, finally we do manage to get out. At which point, Erlington says, well, you know what could have happened. Pull the car to the side of the road. Give us the black boy. 
And the rest of you nice white kids can go home. <laughs> At which point we lost our shit because that was the funniest thing we'd heard and I was utterly terrified that I was gonna be calling my dad for apparently driving with a black. <laughs> You know, got my first DWB, you know. Uh, so I had lots of other things about this story to tell tonight, but I'm running out of time. So uh, I just want to say that, like, this opened my eyes to, like, the nature of, like, hey, where's the real thing to worry about? I was fine in my, like, projects neighborhood, partly probably because I was white and, you know, they actually look for the killers when white people show up dead. So, you know, I was good there. Um... Yeah, that's an ugly truth there. Uh, so, uh, but it kind of dawned on me that, like, I sh who I should really be worried about. It's like, maybe I should be worried about the people who invented crucifixion and the Holocaust and credit default swaps and two and a half men. <laughs> so the moral of the story is keep your eyes open when you're in Anglewood, but don't stop when you're in Lake Forest. <laughs> Thank you very much, Eric. If singing American Pie is a crime, I am guilty. <laughs> I think maybe, maybe singing the Weird Al version is more of a crime. I'm super guilty of that. Sponsored by the Chicago sketch comedy troupe The Nerdalogs and is recorded the third Sunday of every month at the Public House Theater, 3914 North Clark Street in Chicago. The stories you heard have been prepared and presented by the speakers on a volunteer basis. 
Special thanks to Sean Patrick Boyle for his help with recording. Our theme song comes from the band Stage Shirt. For more information on the Nerdalogs, your stories, and everything else, go to www.nerdalogs.com. <laughs>